I'd like to see if I remember how to do this. <laughs> Can I ask you to get two places? First Kings chapter 20. I don't know who did it. If it was you, you can let me know. But somebody bought a clock and hung it on the wall back there. (laughs) To where only the preacher could see it. (laughs) I just want you to know I hear you loud and clear. (laughs) You don't have to worry about me preaching too long. I don't know how long my voice will hold up. I have prepared a five-minute sermon. You're in 1 Kings 20, and we'll come to that in just a moment. I'd like to show you something in 1 John chapter 2. I just want to read a couple verses with you because it goes perfectly with what Armand has just preached to you. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 12. 1 John 2 and 12. John wrote here, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Do you see that first group? Little children. Verse 13, I write unto you, fathers, there's your full age, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. Watch this third group. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Do you see the third group? There's your adolescence. So Armand had it nailed, nailed down pretty good there. Those are the three groups. He, he writes unto them, and then if you keep reading, he says, I have written unto you. I learned something there. Paul addressed, or Paul, I'm sorry, John addressed these three groups, but then he, he has to address them again. The process of learning never ends. In 1 Kings chapter 20, quite an interesting and a rich story we have here. Let's try to cover the entire chapter in the next five minutes. The chapter begins with Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, talking trash to the king of Israel. He comes in and says, King, I'm going to take your wives. I'm going to take your kids. I'm going to take your silver and gold. And King Ahab, being the spineless jellyfish he was, said, fine, have them. (laughs) Tells you something about his relationship with his wife. (laughs) (laughs) Ben-Hadad sent word back again and said, oh, you're not going to put up a fight? Well, then fine, tomorrow I'll send servants We're going to invade your house and look around and just take whatever we want. And it was at that point that Ahab said to his counselors, I think this guy is trying to pick a fight with me. Ahab's a little slow. (laughs) Benadad says, you better watch out. He says, I'm going to, there's not going to be enough dust in the land of Israel because we are going to fill it with servants. You're going to run out of land. You're going to run out of dirt. I'm going to put so many soldiers on your battlefield. And Ahab, and his, the most manly thing Ahab ever did is in 1 Kings 20, verse 11. The king of Israel answered and said, 
Tell him, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. Now, if you really let that statement sink in, he's saying, hey man, don't you start talking like the fight's over before the fight has started. He's talking trash back to him. He says, you you think that you're just gonna overrun me, buddy, we haven't even started yet. You know what God does? Now, if you know anything about your Bible, you know Ahab was a rotten man. God, because he did not like how the Syrians were approaching this, God sent a messenger to Ahab and said, Ahab, there's going to be a battle and you're going to win. Ahab asked some questions. Well, how many soldiers do we send out? He says, send this many out. Who's going to order the battle? Who's going to run things? You are, Ahab, the most unlikely candidate for God to use. As you know, you might count yourself out, say, God couldn't use somebody like me. Well, you may not be his first choice, but... uh, If God can use Ahab, he might just be able to use you. You know what happened in verse 13, 14, on down to verse 21? Exactly what God said would happen. The Syrians weren't ready. They too proud. They were out drinking the night before and weren't ready for the battle. The Israelites showed up and wiped them out. Verse 22, the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, go, go. Strengthen thyself and mark and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come up against thee. I learned something there. Just because you've won one battle, just because you found victory once months ago, doesn't mean that the battle's over. There will be another battle. Paul said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He didn't say we wrestled. We wrestle, it's ongoing. There's gonna be another battle. Our enemy is persistent. Amen, the flesh, the world, the devil. The Bible says our adversary, the devil, walketh about, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Say, well, I bested him on that. God gave me the victory that time. Amen. Well, brace yourself. It's going to come again. In verse number 23, the servants of the king of Syria said unto, unto him, their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than we, but let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we should be stronger than they. I find here the enemy doesn't truly understand the Israelite position on God. They think that there's multiple gods and they think that the Israelite gods only work in the hills. But you get them down in the valley. You get him down in a plain and their gods won't work as well. So the enemy changes tactics. The enemy shifts a little bit and you got victory on that so he's going to try it from a different angle in verse 24 do this thing take the kings away every man out of his place and put captains in their rooms and number thee an army like the army that thou hast lost horse for horse chariot for chariot we will fight against them in the plain and surely we shall be stronger than they and he hearkened unto their voice and did so said all right guys let's try a different battlefield Surely we can get them down there in the valley. 
And it came to pass in verse 26 at the return of the year that Benadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids, but the Syrians filled the country. Can I just let you look at that verse for a moment? Let it sink into your mind what that looked like. Two little flocks of kids. You understand what that is? That's two little groups of goats. Surrounded by Syrian soldiers, trained army men. This is what they do for a living. They kill. And here's the Israelites. Like two little flocks of kids. This seems like a bad setup for Israel. It doesn't seem like this is going to work out. Verse 28, and there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Now, I don't know if God did this, but it's almost as if when the Syrians were having the conversation about God working in the hills and not in the valleys, that God leaned over heaven and said, no, you didn't. (laughs) I don't think that God would do a Z-snap. Does everybody know what a Z-snap is? Where God does, I know you did not. One one of those things. (laughs) Said, are are you, it's one thing for Ben-Hadad to talk smack to Ahab. Say, I'll come in and take all your stuff. That's one thing. But it's another story altogether to say God doesn't work in the valleys. God uh, doesn't take that lightly. He says, wait a minute. Are you throwing down a challenge to me? Do you want to know if I also work in the valleys? He said, Ahab, now listen. You're not much to write home about but my name is quite important to me and I'm not going to let them run it through the mud. I want to make sure that everybody knows I am just as strong when my people are in a valley. I have found too often that we as Christians think like Syrians and we think our God only works when we're on a mountaintop. But you got to remember when you're in the deepest and darkest valley and life seems like it's collapsing on you. God is still God. That's no time to develop Syrian thinking. That's not my sermon, actually, although that's a valid point. My sermon is in verse 29. They pitched one over against the other seven days. So it was that in the seventh day the battle was joined. And the children of Israel slew of the Syrians and 100,000 footmen in one day. Eh, It's not bad for a day's work. It's not bad for two little flocks of kids. That's a mighty victory. Verse 30, it says, But the rest fled to Aphek, into the city, and there a wall fell upon 20 and 7,000 of the men that were left. (laughs) 
Benadad fled and came into the city into an inner chamber. Here's 27,000 men running past a large wall. Who do you think knocked that wall down? God, God just, just with his little finger. <laughs> Nick, just, just to put an exclamation mark on the matter to say, oh, you, you thought I only worked in the hills. Now this story spreads throughout the valley. God works anywhere. That's not my sermon. I have underlined in my Bible the first sentence of verse 29. And this is the thought I'll leave you with. They pitched one over against the other seven days. I have read this story, I don't know how many hundreds of times, and that has never stood out to me. The Syrians on one side and the Israelites on the other. And there they are for seven days. What do you think it was like in the camp for those seven days? Waiting. Waiting. I said, I said they were waiting. Because a lot of us, and I say us because I'm not ashamed to tell you that I am still in a valley myself. The hardest part about being in the valley is the waiting. I can see the enemy. I know they're going to do something. I know that he is going to hit harder than he did last time. I also have the promise of God that he is going to work not just for my good but for his purpose. He is going to glorify his name through what I'm going through. The problem is the waiting. When he says, now just stare the enemy down. Don't flinch. Don't run. If I had been one of those Israelites, I would have been nudging the guy next to me saying, don't you think we ought to just jump in and get this over with? Don't you think we can fire a few arrows, maybe run on the flank? Don't, don't you think that we can put some plan into action? Why aren't we doing anything? If God is God, if he is all he says he is, why hasn't he shown up yet? You know how many Christians get discouraged because the problem starts, they enter the valley and God doesn't show up on day one, so they quit. The God of the hills is the same God in the valleys and you need to learn to wait for him. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that patience will have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. It was in those seven days of waiting that we see the Israelites, the real fortitude, the real strength of their convictions, they truly believed that God would eventually get them through. Don't be impatient with God. I don't know what comes next. To preach 10 minutes and reach the end of myself could this possibly be as much as God will ever let me do
Well, I don't know. I'm in the beginning of verse 29. And it may be seven more days, it may be seven more months. All I know is I have such a great and an awesome God that the same God that's visited with me on many a mountaintop, He'll walk me through this valley as well. And several of you also find yourself in a valley this morning. I just want to encourage you, let patience have her perfect work. Just wait. Just wait. And you'll see God get you the victory in this valley as well. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You got two for one this morning, two sermons for the price of one church service. I told you I'd give you five minutes, I gave you ten. We're all about value around here. Music will play softly. I'd like to give you a moment this morning to react to what you've heard, to exercise the word. When Job fell into all of his troubles, he sat there seven days without saying a word. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, it took him six hours before he died. It took him three days and three nights in the tomb before he rose again. Listen, folks, there's always a period of waiting. As Armand said, you're not going to grow in a day. It takes a lifetime. Don't think like a Syrian. Don't worship God only on the mountaintops. Learn to worship God, trust God, praise God even when you're in a valley. There's so many more things I'd like to say about it. There's so many more things I'd like to preach about that. But that's as much as I can say. I trust the Holy Spirit will say the rest in your heart this morning. If you've never been saved, your spiritual growth has, has yet to start because you need to be born again. We'd like to introduce you to this God who dwells both on the mountaintop and the valley at the same time. He can be in my heart and in yours at the same time. If you've never been saved, would you please find Audemont, find Garrett, find one of these men after the service. Let them show you from the Bible how to be saved. 
Father, oh God, thank you for the privilege to stand and preach. Lord, I don't know how much longer I will have to stand here in this valley. I just want you to know, Lord, that I trust you. That you're the same God that I've always served. You're the same one who saved me, changed me. You're worth the wait. And Father, I know that many of these folks this morning have heavy hearts. And they've been in the valley for a long time, staring their enemy in the face. Please, God, show your hand. Draw nigh to them. Help them to cling to the precious promise that you will give them the victory in due time. Lord Jesus, thank you this morning for all you've done. Please bless the service tonight. We want to hear from you again. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.